All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, it's certainly uh, a joy to be here with you, even virtually. Uh, this is certainly uh, certainly strange times that we're in, and uh, but but it is good to gather, even if uh, even if virtually. You know, praise the Lord that we have this technology. I know we've been saying that for the last week or two, but praise God we have this technology that uh, we can still meet, even though we're not all in the same building. So praise the Lord for that. Um, Good morning. I, I hope that in your homes, um, you guys are excited to study the word together and to be the church and to, and to pray together and, and to see what God has for us as a body, as First Baptist Church, not just as a devotional that you can find anywhere online. I know that that is a thing that's been around for a long time, but this time right now, this is the time where we as a body, First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia, Ohio, are gathering together in our homes virtually to hear what God has for us as a body. And so let me just say before we get started, um, I just want to say just on, on behalf of me and, and our church and our pastors, if, if you, um, if you're a healthcare worker or something, we just want to thank you for all that you're doing, doing during this time. I, I hope that you're all doing well. And we certainly pray uh, for the health of everyone in our church and everyone in our body. But man, just if, if your job is something to do with, with healthcare, thank you for your sacrifice and for what you're doing uh, for, for the world, um, as well as the communities that you're located in. But all, above that, there's also other professions out there that often get neglected, that, it, that we see it during this time, during this crisis in the world, that are very important. So I, I, time would fail me to list them all and certainly my memory would as well, but, you know, truck drivers, retail workers, all super important jobs that we're realizing right now that if we didn't have, uh, this would be an even tougher time. So thank you. Uh, regardless of what you do, if you're out there working and you're not confined to your home because your job is essential by whatever definition of essential you may use, seriously, just from the bottom of, our, of my heart and us at First Baptist Church, thank you for what you're doing. Like I said, these, man, certainly these are strange times that we're in and uh, unprecedented in most of our lifetimes, I'm sure, to say the least. And regardless of where you may fall personally on the meter of COVID-19 panic or dismissal, fear is the prevailing theme of our world today, wouldn't you say? I mean, there's different kinds of fears. You know, people have different fears depending on where they're at in life. But certainly right now today, there's fear of a virus. There's fear of health complications. There's fear of economic collapse. Fear of simply the unknown. But that's what fear is based upon, isn't it? It's, it's based on the unknown. And I'm not going to preach a sermon today on fear. Actually, Arion did that a couple weeks ago at our church at our missions conference, which seems like a year ago, but it's only been a couple weeks uh, that Brother Arion was here and preaching at our missions conference. And he preached a wonderful message on 2 Timothy 1.7, where God says, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And, and if you weren't here for that at our missions conference, I believe it was Tuesday night. It was either Monday or Tuesday night. If you weren't here for that, you need to go listen to that message. I'm telling you, you encourage yourself in the Lord and in his word by listening to Arion expound on that verse and what it really means that God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So I'm not going to preach on fear this morning, but it is a good place to start as we begin our study this morning because fear is common and it's everywhere today. And somehow today we find ourselves swirling in a sea of lack of information, which causes fear, somehow mixed with an overstimulating abundance of too much information, which causes anxiety. And that's a strange thing to be in, somehow that's where we find ourselves today. 
with a, a, somehow a lack of information, but also an overabundance, an overstimulating amount of information. What should you believe? How should you act? How should you react? There's so much happening and so much being said and so many talking heads giving you information about something that we seemingly don't have enough information about. There are many extremes in the world today, especially right now. There's many extreme perspectives that you could have, yet God's word tells us that extremism isn't a biblical perspective. Proverbs 11 in verse 1 gives us this principle. It says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. See, that's important. He, he actually echoes that sentiment in Proverbs 16, 11 when he says, a just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. And so what we see from scripture is that God desires balance. And not only does he desire it, he is balanced and he delights in a balanced point of view. It's never good to be out of balance one way or the other. And you could say, well, if I'm gonna be out of balance, I'd rather be out of balance this way. No, no, no. We'd rather not be out of balance. Because a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. And although you might ironically be called an extremist for simply being a Christian, as compared to this world, I understand that. I'm talking about when we look at scripture, we find that Christians really aren't called to be extremists. We should seek to have a balanced perspective. But the question is, balanced upon what, right? A a, a balance between opinions? A, A balance between right and left? or conservative and liberal, or panic and dismissal? No, our perspective should be balanced upon the word of God. Everything that we see or hear in the world today and before this and in the future after this should be balanced and filtered through the truth of the word of God because the Bible, and hear this Christian, we need to hear this today, the Bible is to be the fulcrum of our balance. This, this book, the words of God, the truth that he has given us is to be the balancing factor, the fulcrum on which we balance all the information, all of the things that we see and hear in the world today. And so church, this morning, I don't seek to to tell you what to believe or where to get your news information or how to react to what you do here. I simply desire to allow God's word to speak to us. Then may we balance everything we see and hear on the fulcrum of that unwavering truth. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we're gonna study just one verse this morning. Psalm chapter 27 and verse 14. But I wanna read the entire psalm as a running start to get the context for the last verse of that psalm, but also so that we can see all the other amazing things that God has to say in that psalm. And so, of course, there's gonna be verses up on the screen the entire time, but in your home right now, this is kind of weird, I'm talking to the camera, in your home, wherever you're at, in your home, with your family, get your Bible out. I don't know if you got your phone, I don't know if you're just sitting on the couch watching the screen. Get your physical Bible out. Kids, you have a Bible, get it out. And let's just read together as a body, Psalm 27, four, not out loud. Well, I don't know, I, you're not here, so I, I, you can read out loud if you want to. But let's just read Psalm 27 together. Starting in verse one, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, 
the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. Verse 8, when thou said, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And verse 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, I come to you this morning, and I, and I thank you for your word, Lord, because in a world of crisis and in a world of panic, there is one thing that stands unmovable, unshakable, unwavering, and that's the truth of your word. And so, Father, I thank you for that. But, Lord, I pray that this morning we would seek to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers and to actually take what your truth reveals. And whether we like it or not, whether it agrees with our worldview or not, whether it agrees with what we think about the current pandemic or not, Lord, I pray that we would take it and we would apply it to our heart and apply it to our lives so that we could be more conformed to the image of your Son. We love you and we thank you for all that you do for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, this entire psalm is a wonderful psalm. And like I said, we're only going to study verse 14 today because really we don't have the time to do the entire psalm justice. We could spend a month just in this psalm. But, but really, even though we're not going to study the entire psalm, I do think you should meditate on it this week. When you're spending time with the Lord, maybe just pop open Psalm 27 and start or end your devotional time with that and just meditate on the word. See, what, what does it say about fear? What does it say about times of trouble and seeking God? What does David, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, have to say about these things? I came across this verse a couple weeks ago in, in, in my devotional time. I'm reading through the Psalms right now. And, and by the way, you can th- read through the entire book of Psalms in a month, in 30 days, if you read just five a day. And I do that anytime that there's things in my life that are just not going great or anytime circumstances seem to be difficult or tough. And, you know, maybe if, if you're not sure where to read right now or you don't have a reading plan, maybe you just start today or tomorrow and say, I'm just going to read five Psalms a day and I'm going to read through the book of Psalms over the next 30 days. I, I don't know. It's up to you, but I think that would be a good thing. So I came through this chapter in my reading a couple weeks ago and verse 14, you know, the whole chapter is familiar. If you've been in church any length of time, those verses are familiar to, to you. But for some reason, verse 14, it just, it hit me square in the chest. It, it stopped me right in my tracks. I was just reading through the Psalms. I read a couple before that and I was going to read a few more after that. But I saw verse 14 and I couldn't leave it. I, I don't know what it was about it. I just kept reading it over and over. It's almost like, I actually have the Holy Spirit of God living in me. And when I was reading his word, he was trying to communicate something to me. Sarcasm. I don't know if that comes over the video or not. But God was just speaking. I didn't know what he was speaking. I just kept dwelling on that verse. And I meditated and mulled over that for at least a week. Just what he says in verse 14. Twice in this verse, David, under the, Holy, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, wait on the Lord. 
And we know that God doesn't have a volume knob on the Bible. And so when he wants to emphasize something to us, he can't just turn the volume up. So what he does is he repeats himself. And so when he says, wait on the Lord, and says a couple more words, and then he says, wait, I say on the Lord, that should get our attention. It got my attention. And, and, and really, when he repeats himself, we should be asking ourselves, what is it that God wants us, what is it that God wants me to know about waiting on him during the time of crisis today? Well, to begin to break this down, we need to define the word wait biblically. Now, let's start with just a simple Google definition of the word wait. I'll give it to you. If you were to go on Google and just Google define wait, what would come up in the very first option is stay where one is or delay action until a particular time or until something else happens. Now, that sounds an awful lot like what we've been doing this past week, doesn't it? I don't know about you. Staying where, I, where one is or delaying action until something else happens. <laughs> that's how the world defines wait. I'm not saying it's incorrect. I'm just saying that's the definition of the word wait. Sitting at home, waiting. Not sure what we're waiting for, right? But delaying all actions until something happens or somebody tells us what we should do. But we know if you've been in church any length of time or reading God's word, that God often uses words differently than the world does. So we must study to show ourselves approved and rightly divide the scriptures to find out how God defines wait. Okay, so let's look at a few verses. We're going to see these kind of quickly, but just look for that word wait and see what else the verse has to say. Psalm 69 and verse 6 says, David says, let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake. O God of Israel. Now, there's a literary device that's being used here that we're going to see in other places in the Bible. Often, a way that God will define a word within his word is by using something called parallelism. And so what the, the author of scripture, which is God, does through the human instrument is he'll say something, and then he'll say it a slightly different way so that you're like, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. That's a literary technique. And what he says here is, let not them that wait on thee, Lord God of hosts, blah, 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 colon, let not those that seek thee, see that? So he's using the word wait and seek parallel. He, he's using them to give you a fuller understanding of the word wait. Lamentations chapter three and verse 25 does the same thing. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Micah chapter seven and verse seven, therefore I will look unto the Lord, semicolon, I will wait for the God of my salvation my God will hear me. Are you seeing that pattern here? In fact, if you were to get out your old Strong's Concordance or get on your, your, uh, your electronic Bible studying software, whatever you use, and you would find that word translated wait in Psalm 27, 14, you'd find it 49 times in the Bible. The majority of the time, it's translated wait. But the second most used translation is that word look at least 14 times. What does that tell us? That God and the world have two different definitions of what wait means. Surprising, right? The world's version of waiting is passive. That's the key. It requires you to do nothing or to delay doing something until something else happens. The world's version of waiting is passive, but the Lord's version of waiting is active. It requires you to look to him and to seek him, not to just sit down and, you know, wrap yourself in a napkin and bury yourself and see what happens as, you know, the words of Christ would say, 
That's not what waiting is in the Bible. Waiting is looking to the Lord. It's seeking the Lord. It's active. It's not passive. And so the first thing I want us to see from Psalm uh, chapter 27 today in verse 14 is number one, we wait on the Lord by seeking the Lord. That's how we wait on the Lord. I mean, we say wait on the Lord so many times. It's used throughout scripture so many times. It's in our worship songs. It's everywhere. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. What does it mean? We wait on the Lord by seeking the Lord. Look back at Lamentations 3 verse 25 again. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. The Lord isn't good to them that just sit and do nothing. The Lord is good to them that seek him that wait on him, amen? You wanna know what to do while you're sitting at home on quarantine waiting? (laughs) Wait on the Lord. How do you do that? You seek the Lord. You seek his face. You stop spending so much time scrolling through social media or watching your favorite news outlet. You you know that affects your mind, right? (laughs) You know that affects your heart, right? You know that affects your perspective and your anxiety, right? You get out of balance either way. I don't care what news network you watch. When you watch that all day, you get out of balance. How do I seek the Lord? How do I wait on the Lord? Well, check this out in Psalm chapter 130 and verse five. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. You seek his face by getting into his word. If that wasn't obvious enough, you have the mind of Christ, Christian. Open it and let it affect your mind. This is the mind of God, and we have it bound, leather bound on our shelves And right now you have more time than you've ever had in your life. (laughs) Open the mind of Christ and let it affect your mind. Let it affect your heart and your perspective. Open it and allow it to be the balancing factor, the fulcrum on which you balance everything that you see in here. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isaiah 25 and verse 9, it shall be said in that day, okay, so obviously this is a prophecy pointing towards future events for the nation of Israel in the day of the Lord, but let's look at it from a devotional standpoint. It shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. You know that word salvation used in the scripture doesn't always just mean not being lost anymore. You know, it just means being saved from something, being rescued, being delivered. Do you believe that God's gonna rescue or deliver us from this? (laughs) He's our salvation. Not just at one point in your life. He's constantly our salvation. Romans chapter eight, verse 24. For we are saved by hope. Let's go back to that, that hope that we talk about in the word of God in Psalm 130 in his word, do I hope? Romans 8, 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. See, waiting and hope go hand in hand because we have hope in God because of his promises from his word. We know the promises of his words because we wait on the Lord and we seek the Lord. We seek his face through his word. Biblical hope isn't based on uncertainty like the world would say, you know, wow, I I hope this all gets better. I don't know. I'm uncertain, but I hope so. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is based on truth and certainty. Let me remind you of Romans chapter five, starting in verse three. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Feels like we're in tribulation right now, doesn't it? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. 
And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We wait on the Lord by seeking the Lord. And we have hope in his word when we seek the Lord and we read what he has to say to us. And we have hope in this. Not hope that like hopefully this is true. We have hope that this is true. And it will come to pass. And so we can hope in that as we wait on the Lord by seeking him actively through spending time with him daily. And when tribulation comes, as we're in right now, not the great tribulation, just tribulation in general. When tribulation comes, that time in the, in the words seeking God should increase, should it not? As you have more time because the government won't let you out of your house, you should have more time to seek his face. But if some t- somehow our time seeking the Lord stays the same or somehow even decreases, well, you're not going to gain peace from the Lord. You'll just be consumed with the fears of the world because you're taking in more from the world than you're taking in by seeking his face. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So number two, as we're studying out verse 14, we have wait on the Lord, and then we have be of good courage. Number two, we become of good courage. I don't know if that's grammatically correct or not, but we become of good courage by believing the Lord. By believing him. We wait on the Lord by seeking him. We become of good courage by believing what he says. That phrase, be of good courage, is found at least 16 times throughout your Bible. It's used often, especially back in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, as they're approaching the promised land. We see in Deuteronomy 31, in verse 6, towards the end of Deuteronomy, towards the end of Moses' life, he's going to switch everything over to Joshua, and then Joshua is going to prepare to lead the people into the promised land. And what does God say? He says, be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And I know there's a specific historic context here. God is charging Israel as they would go in to conquer the promised land. But it is relevant to us today as well. If for anything else other than the New Testament believer pictures the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. But listen, as we believers go into the world and obediently pursue the Great Commission and obeying what God has told us to do, we can take heart to this message in this verse. Be strong and of a good courage. What's the parallel here? Fear not, nor be afraid. So now we're circling back to fear that we started with in our introduction. Biblical courage is the opposite of fear because we trust what God has told us. That's why. Biblical courage is the opposite of fear because it's trusting God. Joshua 1 in verse 9, God says, Have not I commanded thee to Joshua as he's charging him? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Why? For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Joshua 10 in verse 25, Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of a good courage. It's the opposite of fear. For thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom you fight. So let's ask ourselves, why can Israel be courageous instead of fearful? Well, obviously, because God promises to be with them and to fight for them. That would make you courageous too, wouldn't it? Well, so how do they become of good courage? They have to actually believe what God said. That's, that's the secret. They have to actually believe God said it. And if they will simply believe it, they'll be courageous. They'll be of good courage. Do you hear that, Christian? Yes, you need to seek the Lord. 
Yes, you need to read his word. You need to be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God by getting into his word. But if you want to have good courage instead of worldly fear, you must actively believe what God is saying to you. I know that sounds obvious, but think about it. Lots of us read this word. Lots of us have read God's word since we've been a kid. But why do we become fearful of things when they happen? Because our faith becomes weak. We may not actively be saying, I don't believe God. But fear comes from a lack of faith in what God has said. We have to believe what God is telling us. David says the same thing to his son Solomon. I like this because it's outside of the context of Joshua and the nation of Israel going into the promised land. First Chronicles 28 and t- verse 20. David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of a good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Why? Well, Solomon, for the Lord God, even my God will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. That almost sounds like Philippians 1, 6 to me, right? God is doing a work. And if you're a believer and if you are saved and God takes up residence inside of your heart, he is doing a work in you that he promises to fulfill until that day comes. And so we must simply take his word at face value and just say, Lord, I believe it. I don't doubt it. I believe what you say because I have in truth the words of truth. And I'm going to believe those. And if I will simply believe them daily, actively, consciously, well, then I'll be of good courage. I'll be of good courage. Wait on the Lord. Seek him. Believe what he has told you. Do do you believe him today? Can, Can I remind you of some of the things that he has promised in his word? Jeremiah 29, 11, all of these are going to be memory verses that you've memorized, but are we believing them today in 2020? Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him. And what's the promise? He shall direct your paths. But we got to lean not on our own understandings. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God is going to work this thing together for good, and even though in our finite perspectives it might not seem good, he's working it together for good. We know that because he promises it in his infallible word. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, by the way, you should read this whole chapter. The end of Matthew chapter 6 is, is all about trusting what God has said, but look at verse 31 through 33. He says, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Those are some real worries today. Maybe in America, before a month ago, we wouldn't have had those worries, typically. But today, we do. What does God say? Take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first The kingdom of God, that's a spiritual kingdom, not a physical one. And his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I've never seen the righteous begging bread, right? We see that. Listen, if we will just simply believe what God says and obey it, he's gonna take care of us. Let's wrap this part up with John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Do you believe that, Christian? 
Do you believe these promises in the word? These are only a fraction of the things that God has to say to you about himself, his character, how he works, what he will do for you, your eternal security if you're a believer. Do you believe that? Then be of good courage, brothers and sisters. The only way to be courageous in the face of adversity is to stand on the truth of God's word and believe them with an unwavering faith. That is the only way that we can stand and be of good courage in a time where the whole world is freaking out. I'm not saying we're being unwise. I'm not even saying we're being uninformed. I'm saying we're balancing everything on the fulcrum of what God has told us. Maybe that makes you an extremist in the world's eyes, being balanced, ironically. Be of good courage, but check this out, not just for yourself. Sure, that'll give you some peace, but check this out. We should be of good courage for others as well, for our families for your church family, for your disciple, for the lost world around you. The world is looking at you, Christian. I, I love this story in 1, Corinthians 9, or 1 Chronicles 19, rather. When the Syrians and the children of Ammon come out to battle against the children of Israel, Joab says something to his brother Abishai. And, and I just imagine this. If you're just watching a war movie, you know, and, and the, the enemy is coming out, and the general, he grabs one of his commanders, and he just grabs him by the shoulders, and he, he has one thing to charge him with before they go into battle. This is what Joab says to Abishai. Look at it. 1 Chronicles 19, 13. He says, be of good courage, And check this out. Let us behave ourselves valiantly for our people and for the cities of our God and let the Lord do that which is good in his sight. Be of good courage. Let's behave valiantly for our people. If you're a father or a mother and you've got kids in your house, you need to hold it together for your kids' sake. If if, if you're discipling young believers, you need to hold it. It doesn't mean you don't have an opinion. Of course we all have an opinion, but that opinion needs to be balanced on the truth of God's word. That's what it needs to be. And so we behave ourselves valiantly, not fearfully, because we have good courage, because we believe what God has told us to do, because we're seeking his face. See how that works together? But notice the kicker at the end. I love this part. This is what Joab is saying to Abishai, as they're getting ready to battle the enemies of the nation of Israel, he doesn't say, and and we will prevail. He says, and let the Lord do that which is good in his sight. That's important. You know why? Because you can't control the situation. And that uncertainty causes fear. Regardless if you would label yourself an extrovert, an introvert, or controlling, or not, whatever it is, when we don't have control at some level, that causes uncertainty. And that uncertainty causes fear. So what do we do? we seek the Lord. We stand firm on his promises. We be of good courage and we behave valiantly for all the world to see. And then we let the Lord do what he thinks is best because we know what he said in this book and we know the end from the beginning because he's told us. And so however this plays out in eschatology and in the end times, whatever, it doesn't even matter because I know how the end works. So I can be of good courage because I believe what the Lord has told me when I sought his face. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So number three, waiting on the Lord, we wait on the Lord by seeking the Lord. We become of good courage, we gain courage by believing the Lord. And number three, when we seek and believe the Lord, well, he's gonna do a work. We're then strengthened by the Lord. When we seek and believe God, we are then strengthened by him. He does the strengthening right? He shall strengthen thine heart. That word strengthen in the Bible is also translated other places as these different words. It's translated stronger, 
harden, courage, courageous, steadfastly minded, prevail, confirm, and fortify. Those are just some of the words that God uses also, as well as that word strengthened. That, all of those things, that is the result of the Lord's work in you when you seek him and believe what he says. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. That's the result of the Lord working in you, Christian, when you wait on him and you seek his face and you believe the promises that he has told you. Our hearts will be renewed with strength when we wait on the Lord. See, this is important because a lot of the times, even us as Christians, when things happen that are out of our control, we, sometimes we, we revert back to what we would do in our flesh rather than what we should be doing in our spirit because you can't seek strength in uncertain times. That's important. We, we, tried, we might default to that. Try, well, man, everything is, is going wrong. Circumstances are heavy. The waves are thrashing against our boats. And so I'm gonna seek peace. I'm gonna seek to do whatever I can to, to make myself strong. That's not how it works. You don't seek strength. You seek the Lord and you believe what he says. And then what happens as a result is then he strengthens you. You don't do it the other way around. You don't seek strength and then you become strong. You seek the Lord. You believe what he says and then he strengthens you. It's like the cry of the father in uh, in Mark chapter nine that's begging Jesus to heal his son. He comes to him with with this son that that has a demon, I believe, and, and he's asking him to heal him. And Christ says, if you'll just believe what I say, then it's possible. All things are possible to them that believe and the father, I can just picture it. Sometimes we just read over it monotone in our, in our head reading voice. But can you just picture the scene? This, this, this young man, this father crying out to Jesus to heal his son. And he says, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Listen, if you're watching this, you might be a Christian. You might have Jesus Christ living in you and you understand the gospel. But you know what? We need him to help our unbelief sometimes. Because sometimes it is hard to believe. Sometimes it is hard. I'm not even faulting us for having a weak faith at times. But when we have that weak faith, don't run to the world and try to seek strength. Run to the word of God. Seek his face. Believe him and let him strengthen your heart. Do you believe that? Isaiah 41 in verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That's what God tells us. Do you believe that? Deuteronomy 3 and verse 28. But charge Joshua. God's talking to Moses. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. Do you feel discouraged today, Christian? And God wants to encourage you. He wants to strengthen you, but check this out. He can't do that if you don't seek him and believe what he says. (laughs) He can't strengthen you if you don't seek his face and you, even when you do or what you remember, you don't believe. If you seek the mainstream media and you believe the mainstream media, well, you're going to end up discouraged and anxious and depressed and certainly unbalanced. Ephesians 3 and verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. It's God who does the strengthening, Christian. 
And he does that act in you through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Don't you remember in John 14, 15, 16, 17, before Christ is getting ready to leave the earth, he tells his disciples that it's expedient for me to leave because I'm going to leave you with another comforter. Capital C. The Holy Spirit, one of his names is comforter. And it's his work in you to comfort you by interacting with the mind of Christ by seeking his face and believing it. And then the Holy Spirit works in you to strengthen you. It's the work of the Spirit within you that strengthens your heart and gives you peace in perilous times. But you must seek the Lord and believe him at his word in order for that to occur. And then act on it. Don't just be hearers of the word. We gotta be doers. And sometimes being doers doesn't mean going out and doing something. It means just applying what God says to my life or believing what he says. Let's be doers of the word. Let's act upon what we're seeing and hearing in the scripture this morning. Let me put it this way. Do you want the fruit of the spirit in your life? Remember love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, the fruit of the spirit. You want those? Then supply the necessary environment and nutrients in your life in order for them to grow. Fear and worry and doubt and unbelief and not seeking God are not the environment and the nutrients for the, for the fruit of the Spirit to spring up in your life. Seek the Lord, believe Him, and He'll strengthen your heart and He'll do that by using the Holy Spirit to do it. First Peter chapter 5, if you, if you have your Bibles out still, man, look at this. Let's look at this passage together. First Peter 5 starting in verse six. We're gonna read down to verse 11. Let this encourage you today, what Peter has to say in 1 Peter 5, starting in verse six. It says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care, all your care upon him. Why? For he careth for you. He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour and at the very least seeking to capitalize on things that are happening. Verse nine, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, Settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's the one who'll strengthen you. And you know what? We're going to suffer. Don't be surprised, right? When you suffer tribulation and persecutions in the world. Because Christ suffered tribulations and persecutions in the world. And we're not of this world. We're of the Father. So we need to seek him. And we need to let him strengthen our hearts. Because we need to remember this, Christian. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? And left to our own strength, our heart will be our own demise. We need Christ to strengthen our hearts. And that's why Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, it's really all about peace, isn't it? The world is full of uncertainty and tribulation, which causes fear. It causes fear to be uncertain about things and for things to be crazy. All of that uncertainty causes fear, but we want peace. We want peace. Well, in John 16, Jesus is speaking some of his final words to his disciples, preparing for his soon coming 
crucifixion. And he says this. I know this is a verse a lot of us have heard and probably posted on Facebook in the last week or two. But let's just look at the words of what it says. John 16, starting in verse 32. Behold, the hour cometh, Christ says, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered. Now he's talking to his disciples in the historically right, when it, right before he's getting ready to be crucified. So he's saying, you're going to be scattered. You're going to leave me alone. Every man to his own and shall leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things, all the things, and you can read chapter 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 of, chap- of John to see what these things are. He says, these things have I spoken unto you, why? That in me, ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Listen, Christian. Listen, anyone listening. In Christ, there is peace. In the world, there is tribulation. It's a very simple understanding of this verse. And all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so would you hear me for one moment? Quit seeking peace in the world. Quit it. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us to spiritually discern those things that are spiritual. And and to take this book as we seek the face of Christ and we believe what he says, he will strengthen us and we can gain peace in our hearts as we do that. Quit seeking peace in this world. What Christ says about the world is search the world through the New Testament. It's not good. It's the enemy of God. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father. It's of the world and the world pass away. It's not eternal. The things that are in the world are used by the devil to to ruin us, to come against us, to, to get us to fear. So quit seeking peace in the world. You can adjust your stocks all you want. You can stock up on toilet paper and hand sanitizer all you want. You can stay in your house for the next two years if you want. You won't have peace. And I'm not even saying that it's unwise to do some of those things. I'm saying If that is where you're trying to gain peace, you won't get it there because you're seeking peace in the world. And Christ says there will be tribulation in the world, but in me, there's peace. He promises us that. And he continues, he doesn't end there. He continues by saying, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How about we dwell on that this week? How about we dwell on the fact that Christ has overcome this world? He has overcome disease, whether you believe it or not. He has overcome the grave, right? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? 1 Corinthians 15. He's overcome the grave. He's overcome death. He's overcome fear and uncertainty and anxiety and weakness. And one day, he's gonna finally crush underfoot the head of that old serpent as he comes down in victory on the day of the Lord and sets up his millennial reign. But until then, there's tribulation in the world. And he's overcome the world, Christian, for us and for his glory. He did that for all of us. So if you want peace, just follow the simple prescription given to us in Philippians 4. I know this has been thrown out there a lot too, but pay attention to the words. Philippians 4 gives us a good prescription for how to deal with uncertainty, anxiety, depression, and how to gain peace. Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Pray. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's our heart that is uneasy. It's our mind that's uneasy right now. Pray, but keep reading. It's not just about prayer. It's not just about, check this out. Look at verse eight and nine. 
Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. It's about praying, it's about thinking on the right things, it's about doing the right things. Listen, fear comes from uncertainty. But God's word is certain. It is truth. It is honest. It is just. It is pure. It is lovely. It is of good rapport. It is virtuous and it is praiseworthy. So think on these things. Panic and anxiety, they come from thinking on things that aren't true, that aren't honest, that aren't just, they aren't pure, they aren't lovely, they aren't of good report, they aren't virtuous, and they certainly aren't praiseworthy. So stop thinking on those things. The source of those things is the world. And now friends, certainly, if anyone's listening to this, I, 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 would, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you can't have the peace of God if you don't have peace with God. If you're listening to this, you've stumbled across this because every church in America is broadcasting their service and you're listening to this at this moment, can I just say, if you want peace and you want the peace that God offers through seeking his face and believing his promises and allowing him to strengthen your heart to give you peace, can I just say, you can't have that peace of God until you have peace with God. Because you were born a sinner. You were born separated from God because of your sin, and I'd certainly, if you're honest, don't need to persuade you that you're a sinner. I don't need to persuade you that you have lied, that you have cheated, that you have stole things in your life. We all have. We've all come short of the glory of God. We all fail. We all don't measure up because we're sinners. We have a sin nature that we were born with because whereas by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so that death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And if you want peace with God, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Because of our sin, because God is righteous, God is light and we are in darkness. Because he is perfect and we are imperfect, we can't dwell with a holy God. And so Romans chapter six and verse 23 says that the wages of sin, what we earn for our sin is death and certainly physical death, but more importantly, an eternal death of our soul separated from God for eternity in a place that wasn't designed for you or me. And that's bad news. But because God, who, while we were yet enemies of God, sent his son to die for us and to pay the price, to pay the wage of our sin. And he bore it on the cross when he died and shed his blood for you and for me and for everyone listening to this. Listen, he presents the opportunity to have peace with God by canceling your debt of sin, by simply doing what Romans chapter 10 tells you to do, by believing on him and confessing with your mouth that he is the Lord. And Romans chapter 10 verse 9 simply tells you, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you don't have peace today because you are worried about if I die, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't usually think about death because death doesn't usually consume me. But in this uncertain world, I don't have peace because I'm not sure what happens when I die. You can have peace today. You can have the peace of God by simply doing what the Lord says in his word and calling on him to save you. And you have the promise of his word that if you call on him, he shall save you. You shall be saved.
And you can do that on your own. You can grab your Bible and look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. You can Google it and find those verses. Call your friend who is a Christian, who, who knows you. Call our church. We, we want to help you. But you can't have the peace of God until you have the peace with God. And then once you have that peace with God settled, and I'm talking to us Christians, once we have peace with God and our eternity is secure, well, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the Comforter, capital C, taking up residence inside of our heart. And he wants to discern these scriptures, the mind of Christ. And he wants to give us peace. He wants to strengthen our heart. But he can't do that if we don't seek him and we don't believe what he says. So let me just remind us, by way of review, what we saw from Psalm 27 and verse 14 today. We wait on the Lord by seeking the Lord. We become of good courage by believing the Lord. And when we seek the Lord, number three, and we believe the Lord, we're then strengthened by the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I, man, I come to you again this morning, Lord, and I thank you for the truth of your scripture. I thank you for the promises that you give. I thank you for the fact that you care about us and that you want us to succeed. You want us to have victory in you. You want us to have peace. You're not just some divine deity who pulls the strings everywhere and, and, and doesn't provide us with free will, but just lets everything play out however you want for your amusement. No, God, you're a God who loves. You're a God who cares. You're a God who desires peace. And you're a God who saw that your creation through sin had fallen away from you, but rather than just letting it go and not allowing us to have an opportunity to be reconciled with you, you provided that opportunity of reconciliation by sending your own son, into the world to die for each and every one of us. Father, we thank you for that free gift that you offer through your son of eternal life, of salvation. And Father, I pray if there's anyone out there who doesn't have peace with you because they, don't, they didn't know the gospel prior to today, Lord, I pray they would just simply call upon your name to save them. Your word promises you'll do that if they'll just believe in their heart and confess with their mouth. It's not just believing in God, it's believing that God exists and he not only exists, but he came in the form of Jesus Christ to die for us and to shed his blood for us. And if we'll believe that and confess with our mouth, the Lord Jesus will be saved. And Father, the people that are listening, that have done that, but still don't have peace, Father, I pray that they would seek you daily, that they would wait for you, wait upon you, seek your face through your word, that they would believe, Lord, what you say, and through that, they would have good courage, that they would behave themselves valiantly, and when they do that, you are the one who promises that you will strengthen our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for all that. We love you, and certainly we praise you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.